Warning! The following presentation contains information that might contradict what you have previously heard, or believed to be true, about how the human body works, and contains material that is not suitable for closed-minded individuals. Enjoy! So we're going to uh, continue looking at some issues related to physiology, health, and well-being. Going off of what we talked about in the Substack published earlier this week, looking at what do we need to know about hydration and hydrating. Kind of important topic given the current environmental conditions that we're facing in regards to the summer heat and the need to make sure that we are properly hydrating. So when we're looking at hydration, looking at hydrating, a couple of questions that we have to start to address. One of the things we have to look at is how much should I be drinking? We have some general recommendations. General recommendations that we have is somewhere around four ounces of water for every pound of body weight that we happen to have. If we look at it in terms of averages for our adult populations, that's somewhere around 3.7 or about 125 fluid ounces for males and about 2.7 liters or about 91 fluid ounces for females. Once again, those are just general recommendations for uh, the population, it doesn't take into account any of the additional factors that might impact our hydration status. One of the things that will impact our hydration status is being active. This is not looking into what's happening in terms of activity out in the heat. This is just activity in general. And the need to rehydrate following activity or to stay hydrated while we're being active. The general recommendation that we have based off of the scientific evidence is consuming somewhere between 0.4 and 0.8 liters, 400 milliliters to 800 milliliters per hour of exercise. And that value is going to be temperature and body mass dependent. Heavier individuals and individuals who are exercising in warmer environments will need to consume slightly higher in the range whereas lighter individuals, individuals exercising in cooler environments may be consuming at the lower end of the range. We do know that in order to regain hydration status as being normally or UEU hydrated, we need to consume about 1.5 liters per kilogram of body mass loss during the exercise bout. If we look at it in terms of fluid ounces and pounds, that is about 23 to 23.1 fluid ounces per pound of body mass that is lost or body weight that's lost during the exercise. This is going to allow us to be able to regain mass that is lost. If we lose mass during an exercise, when we are looking at that mass that's lost, it's not going to be the fat or the muscle or the uh, carbohydrate mass that is being lost in very large amounts. What is going to be lost in large amounts during the exercise is going to be water. And most of that water is going to be lost in the uh, sweat that is being produced in an attempt to cool the body off. As we need to make sure that we maintain a body temperature that is relatively stable even though metabolic rate will be increasing during the exercise, elevating body temperature. And so that 1.5 liters or 23.1 fluid ounces that we'll be consuming per kilogram or per pound of body mass being lost 
is going to equate to the water mass that is being lost and that can be recollected during a rehydration of following the exercise. And this is not something where you're going to consume all of it as fast as possible. You want to make sure you're consuming this over an hour to an hour and a half following the exercise event. Well, what about my morning or my afternoon or my evening coffee or caffeinated drink? Well, we know that moderate consumption of caffeine and of coffee has almost no impact on any of our hydration metrics. That is the uh, urine specific gravity. That is how dilute or how concentrated the urine happens to be for the person consuming the caffeinated beverage or the coffee. And we can state that based off of all of the uh, empirical evidence that we have if you're consuming coffee or a caffeinated beverage where caffeine is between 1.4 and 6 milligrams of caffeine per kilogram body mass, you're not going to see any type of diuretic effect or change in overall hydration. So it's not going to dehydrate you. There is some evidence to show, to show that if I'm going to have a greater than 250 milligram per day consumption of the caffeine pills. That's the crystalline form of caffeine. I will have a moderate acute diuretic effect, which means that immediately following the consumption of that pill, I will increase the amount of urine being produced, which can cause a dehydrating effect to take place. But what most of the evidence is supporting is that if I am normally hydrated and consuming any of the caffeinated beverages or coffee, it's not going to have an impact on dehydrating my body, which means that out in the summer right now, having a coffee, having a uh, tea, having an energy drink is not going to have a negative impact on your overall ability to stay hydrated as long as you're already staying hydrated. And so what we have, so what we know is that there is the indication that normal consumption of caffeine and caffeinated beverages is not going to cause someone to be dehydrated, even though that tends to be the old wise tale that we hear about and is generally uh, stipulated in a lot of news stories that we might hear as relates to needing to stay hydrated during the summertime and in the heat to avoid the coffee, avoid the teas, avoid the caffeinated beverages. There are other things within some of the caffeinated beverages that we might want to avoid within the, the heat and while exercising, but it's not because it's going to cause a dehydration effect. And so the question we have to now ask is, is how much is too much? So we need to stay hydrated. We need to rehydrate our body while we're exercising, while we're being active, while we're being out in the heat. But how much is too much? Dehydration is associated uh, with any body mass loss greater than 2% during an exercise during activity. And so anytime I lose more than about 2% of my body mass, I will have experienced symptoms of dehydration. And we're going to need to replace that mass with fluid in order to overcome uh, any of the issues with dehydration. 
The problem is, is I don't want to overconsume. Overconsumption can become just as big of an issue, if not bigger of an issue, than underconsumption of fluid. Overconsumption of fluid leads to dilution of body fluids, a uh, scientific term that we use called hyponatremia. Hypo, lower than, natremia is referencing sodium. And so when we have too much fluid consumption, in particular, too much water consumption, what ends up happening is that we end up diluting the fluids of the body. We reduce the osmotic condition, the osmolarity, the concentrations, or the, what can you think about as being the salinity of the body. And the body's salinity is about 0.9%. And so anytime I start to change the volumes that I'm either consuming or the volumes that I'm losing, I'm going to change that salinity. I'm going to change that concentration of salts relative to fluids. And so anytime I am consuming greater than 0.8 liters per hour of activity, I run the risk of developing that hyponatremia. And so while we want to consume fluids while we're exercising, while we're being active, we don't want to overconsume fluids. One of the things we want to make sure we're doing, particularly in the heat, is making sure that we're getting breaks from the heat itself. And during that break time from the heat itself, getting into shade, getting into cooled areas, cooling the body off to go ahead and undergo some form of rehydration during that period of time. But once again, we don't want to overconsume the fluids that we're consuming at that point in time. The reason why we don't want to overconsume is because we don't want to run the risk of becoming hyponatremic but we wanna make sure we're consuming enough to offset what's being lost so that we do not have that greater than 2% body mass loss. Getting into a cooled area or getting out of direct sun into a shaded area is gonna help us out because it's going to reduce water loss in sweat as we're gonna give our body a chance to remove some of the extra heat source, that would be the sunlight. And by reducing the heat source, we're able to dissipate, remove extra heat a little bit easier than what we would be otherwise. So how do I know if I'm properly hydrated? What are the signs and symptoms I'm going to look for to, know, to let me know that I'm being, that I am dehydrated or that I'm not consuming enough fluids in order to maintain my normal hydration status? We'll see dry mouth. Dry mouth is important because it's gonna drive us to want to drink. But if I start experiencing dry mouth, that's an indication that I'm not being properly hydrated. Looking at my urine color and looking at my urine volume, it's a combination of both color and volume here, not just color and not just volume. As the color and the volume of urine, there's a whole bunch of factors that come into play. But if I am dehydrated, I'm going to be producing a very small volume of urine. And because I'm producing a small volume of urine, the solids that are in the urine will start to coalesce around each other and become more opaque, become darker, where I will start to go from having a pale yellow colored urine, which is a normal color urine, towards a more kind of brownish yellow, amber color, 
towards a brownish urine, particularly as I become even more dehydrated. Along with that color chart, scientifically, we'll look at things known as urine-specific gravity, and that is the relationship or the density relationship between urine and water, where water has a specific gravity of 1.00000, and normal urine is going to be between 1.004 and 1.010, where a normally hydrated person will have a urine-specific urine gravity up to about 1.020. Once we start getting above that 1.020, we start having to worry about dehydration issues for that person. Combined with the dry mouth, we will also start seeing changes in skin conditions where skin can become very dry and very blotchy. We may also start seeing crystalline forms of sweat collecting on the skin as the person's uh, fluid volume will drop, but sweat will still be, be produced, just not as much sweat as what would normally be produced. We'll see changes in fatigue. Person can become tired, more tired more easily. We'll see a change in mood. Irritability can come about. Headaches can develop, all based off of changes in fluid volume of the cerebral spinal fluid. That's the fluid that surrounds the, the brain. And if I lose the fluid surrounding the brain, the neurons that make up the brain start behaving differently. But we'll also see changes in blood pressure in and around those areas, which can trigger various types of headaches. I'll see changes in bowel movements. Constipation is one of the things that can come about if I'm not being properly hydrated. The constipation tends to be more of a chronic, prolonged issue with poorly hydrated individuals. So if I know that I'm out and about in the summer heat and I'm not normally hydrating myself on day one, on day two, on day three, as I progress towards day three, I may start end up having constipation issues and a lot of those constipation issues can be corrected by increasing my hydration status, by increasing how, much, how hydrated my body happens to be. Now, one of the things we have to remember is that when we're consuming fluids, we want to make sure that it's more than just water. Remember, we're going to be losing electrolytes along with the water that we're losing or having removed from the body. We'll lose electrolytes and we'll lose other solutes in the form of sweat in urine, as well as in a lot of the intestinal secretions. When we start seeing changes in our hydration, we're gonna start seeing changes in the concentration of these secretions, as well as how much fluid we happen to have in our blood and how much fluid we happen to have in the fluid that surrounds the tissues of the body. And so why are we gonna to have to worry about those electrolytes? And why, if we look at the drinks that we consume that are mass marketed for hydration purposes, are they adding sugars and adding electrolytes? And this is where we have to go back to the chemistry and go back to the physiology. Sodium as an ion has a very large, what's called hydration sphere that has, that has the ability to be surrounded by a lot of water molecules. And because it has a large hydration sphere and because it wants to attract a large number of water molecules, we make this kind of claim 
And the claim that we make is wherever sodium moves, water will follow it. And it does this in such a way so as to maintain normal salinity and normal levels of water concentrations in the body. And that's simply because of the hydration sphere, the ability for water molecules to surround the sodium atom much more than a lot of the other ions that we happen to have or electrolytes that we happen to have in our diet and within our body. Now, what's interesting is that we'll also add things like glucose and fructose. Now, sometimes you'll read things like dextrose on labels, and dextrose is just another form of glucose. And what dextrose or glucose and what fructose have is when it gets transported into the cells, particularly the cells that are lining the intestines, as it gets absorbed in those cells, it moves across the, the cell membrane, water molecules are going to follow along with it. And that's because we have what's referred to as a symport action. That means that the molecules are going to move in the same direction across the membrane. And so what is up happening is that the sodium and the sugar will move in the direction from the intestines into the cell and then into the body. And what that movement does is it's going to draw water to it. And so we can consider these molecules to have water drawing ability. That means they're going to create a condition that's going to make water want to follow or move along with it. And so what the sports drinks or the electrolyte drinks are doing is that they're creating a condition that's going to allow for more water to be absorbed to offset the water that's being lost or fluids being lost during activity so as to keep our concentrations normal. And we want to make sure our concentrations are normal so that we have normal actions of all of the cells of the body. So we get normal muscle contractions, normal neuron functions, so that we're able to keep our performance up. Now, what these don't do is these do not give a performance benefit. We don't all of a sudden go from being a bench warmer to an all-star simply because we're consuming these drinks. But what it does do is it does allow us to maintain the performance that we happen to have when dehydration starts to come into play and I'm going to, going to consume these beverages. But once again, it's not going to give me a performance benefit. It's simply going to make sure that my performance doesn't drop off faster than what's already dropped off. So what about the drinks and the concentrations of the materials that I'm getting beyond just the fluid? I'm going to give you some numbers here, and the numbers are based off of serving sizes, and serving sizes are typically given in terms of about a 12 to 16 ounce container, sometimes up to a uh, 750 milliliter container. Now, the American College of Sports Medicine and a couple of the other academic societies have come up with a general recommendation for fluid, fluid replacement beverages to contain somewhere around 20 to 30 mil equivalents of sodium, which is around 400 milligrams of sodium, 20 to 30 mil equivalents of chloride, which is once again, somewhere around 400 milligrams of chloride, two to five mil equivalents of potassium, that Two to five milliequivalents milli of potassium is going to give me somewhere in the neighborhood of, of 100 to 200 milligrams of potassium. 
and around 5 to 10% carbohydrates. If we look at what the mass marketed beverages are going to give us, we have some ranges. Carbohydrates are going to range from about one gram per serving to about 30 grams per serving, depending upon whether we're going to get the quote unquote zero form or the normal sugared form. Sodium is going to be between 160 and 480 milligrams per serving. Chlorides will range from about 200 to 700 milligrams per serving. Potassium is going to range between 50 and 470 milligrams per serving. Magnesium is going to be between 10 and 40 milligrams per serving. Calcium between 10 and 120 milligrams per serving. Zinc between 2.8 and 4 milligrams per serving. And phosphorus between 40 and 140 milligrams per serving. All of these fit within the range that is given for optimal drink composition based off of what the academic societies have given us, with the exception of carbohydrates in the zero form. Now, the carbohydrates in the zero form will use a different form of sugar that is not measured in our carbohydrate counts. There are still carbohydrates there. It's just not the carbohydrates that we use in terms of counting carbohydrates. They will still act very similar to the glucose and the fructose in terms of their ability to draw water, which means they're still going to have that rehydration effect. But what they don't do is they do not provide the nutrient for energetic purposes during the exercise event. So how much is too much? Well, we have maximums that we have to worry about for a lot of the electrolytes, because when we start having too much of certain electrolytes, we'll have changes in performance effects. And so a maximum amount of sodium is about four grams or 4,000 milligrams per day. Potassium is about 4.2 grams or 4,200 milligrams per day. Chlorine is about 4,200 milligrams or 4.2 grams per day. Calcium is about 2.5 grams or 2,500 milligrams per day. We don't have a necessary maximum for magnesium. However, we do not want to consume over about 4 to 4.25 grams per day. But there's no indicated maximal value that we want to have. Phosphorus, we have a maximum value of about 4 grams per day. And zinc, we have a maximum value of about 0.4 grams per day. And these values correspond with the major, minor, and trace elements that we have within our diet in terms of the elements that we have. We don't want to overconsume electrolytes, particularly don't want to overconsume sodium, as overconsumption of sodium can lead to retention of fluids. Now, even though we're talking about hydration issues here, and the wanting to make sure that we're staying properly hydrated. Overconsuming of sodium has been linked with hypertension, high blood pressure, that is associated with excessive blood volume and excessive interstitial volumes. And it goes back to, if you look at the substack, the passage there as it relates to volume of fluids within the tissues and within the body, 
We only have so much fluid that is found outside the cell. It's about 37% of all of the fluid in the body. It's found outside the cells of the body. And that fluid volume is important because it's going to establish our membrane potentials. And sodium is found predominantly outside cells of the body. It's found in the interstitial or the extracellular compartments outside the cells or in the areas surrounding the tissues. And so if I'm overconsuming sodium, it's going to lead to retention of fluids, but it's also going to change concentrations, particularly concentrations of sodium ions around membranes, which can lead to issues as relates to membrane functions and cell functions. And so even though we want to make sure that we're getting sodium and getting potassium and getting chlorine and getting calcium and getting magnesium and getting phosphorus and getting zinc and iodine and a whole bunch of the other ions in the beverages that we're consuming while we're are, while we are rehydrating, we want to make sure we don't overconsume it. And so if you are someone that's going to consume a lot of the electrolyte beverages, you want to make sure that you are not overconsuming electrolytes in the beverages. And that's simply because we can get these things in other places. We can get fluids and we can get electrolytes in things besides the beverages that we are going to consume. We will get a lot of fluids and a lot of electrolytes from the fruits and vegetables that we eat. We will get a lot of our salts from the salting of foods, adding table salt, whether it is the iodized table salt or the uh, Himalayan pink salt or the kosher salts or the flake salts. All those salt that we add to all of the foods that we eat is going to add to our electrolyte balance. It's going to add to how much electrolyte we happen to have being consumed. We will also get it within the meats and the dairy that we consume. And the other thing we have to remember is that some of the foods that we eat are going to want us to make want to make us drink more, want us to overconsume fluids, salty foods and snacks. Salty foods and snacks is part of the salt crave. It's something that happens when I am dehydrated. I actually want to have salts, and that want for salts is so that I'm going to increase how much fluid I'm drinking. And so if I'm going to eat chips, if I'm going to eat pretzels, if I'm going to eat things that are salty, I'm going to be drinking more to offset the changes in the dryness or wetness of my mouth that's associated with eating those foods. As salts found on those foods will lead to dehydration of the mouth. Because of how we digest and absorb any of the carbohydrates in our diet, eating carbohydrate or starchy foods is going to change the way in which my body is hydrated. So if I'm someone that is following one of the popular low carbohydrate ketogenic diets, I have less carbohydrate in my diet, which means that I'm going to be absorbing less water, which means I'm going to need to somehow offset the solids, the solutes, the salts, and the other things I'm going to have in my fluids to make sure that I'm able to get more hydrated as the inability to absorb extra water from having not a lot of carbohydrates or starchy food can impact my hydration status. And so if I'm out exercising in the summer heat, and I am following a keto, uh, keto diet, 
or I'm following a low carbohydrate diet, I run the risk of becoming dehydrated faster than someone who is following a normal carbohydrate diet, even if I'm consuming some of those zero beverages that the sports drinks peoples will be producing. So we talked about the sports drinks, what we see in the sports drinks. We talked about hydrating and being normally hydrated in the volume so we can consume stuff. The other thing we have to remember is that we don't have to spend the money on the sports drinks. I know that the sports drinks people don't want to hear this. If we know the science, we can make it ourselves. We don't want to oversalt things. So if you look at the concentrations of a lot of the sports drinks, a lot of the sports drinks are concentrated at about 0.045% to about 0.6% in terms of their concentrations. We can, if we are going to be environmentally conscious and use our own reusable bottle, we can make a sports drink that can last us the entire day by simply just refilling and partially diluting the fluids that we're going to be consuming. And so what we want is we want to end up making a solution that over time is going to be equivalent to my body concentration, which is going to be about 0.9%. And that's done in a combination of salts and sugars. And so what's that mean? That means that for every liter bottle that I have, I want to add about 0.5 gram of table salt and, a and about 0.5 gram of whatever sweetener I'm going to use, whether it's a sugar or another type of sweetener. I can also use any type of flavoring that's going to help make the drink more palatable, simply because even at this lower than body concentration, that level of salt will taste very salty. And what this is going to do is this is going to increase my ability to stay hydrated and reach normal hydration status. A very interesting story that came about from the military operations that the U.S. Army had and the U.S. Marine Corps had in the Middle East was the need to make sure that the soldiers stay, stayed hydrated given the environmental conditions of the Middle East and the military equipment that they had to wear. And what they found out is that if they were to put just the normal packet of salt that you might get from a fast food restaurant and a normal packet of sugar and flavoring that you might get from the uh, powdered flavored drinks that you can get at any of the supermarkets. And if they put that into the camel packs or the water canteens for the soldiers and the Marines, they found out that they had less incidences of dehydration taking place. And so they didn't go out and spend the hundreds and thousands and millions of dollars on the sports drinks. They were making it themselves. And you can do the exact same thing in your own kitchen. You don't have to go out and spend all of the money on the sports drinks. You can go ahead and make it yourself and you can make it to whatever palatable taste that you want to make it. You can add whatever flavor you want to add to it. We can talk about the citric, the, the adding of the citrus wedges into the table water. While it's not going to overly change much of the chemistry of the water, it will make it slightly more palatable. And by making it slightly more palatable, it will make you want to drink. 
the whole idea here in terms of hydration and getting a drink beverage that you want to drink is to make you want to drink it. What we have to remember is that when we're drinking our fluids, it's not about what type of fluid that we're drinking per se. It's the fact that we're drinking fluids. As even when we are looking at the, the soft drinks, the caffeinated beverages, the juices, whether it's with the artificial uh, juices or whether it is made at home from fruit juice, the majority of that liquid is going to be water. And since the majority of that liquid is going to be water, I'm going to be making sure that I am rehydrating myself. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. If you happen to be on the YouTube watching this, I hope that you learned a little bit. Hope you came away with some new ideas. Hope, hope you formed a few new questions you want to ask about how the human body works. Stay tuned for future presentations on topics related to physiology, health, and human performance.